Hello, I'm Will, and this is my wife, Dallas. Hi! And this is Not the Beginning, the podcast where a longtime Wheel of Time fan and a Wheel of Time newbie read through each of the 14 books in this long series. Warning, this podcast may not be suitable for younger audiences and will contain spoilers. If you've not read Robert Jordan's The Dragon Reborn, please proceed with caution. Well, I am not staying in the middle of a battle, he shouted at the women. They were just disappearing through a small, barred door. I'm leaving, do you hear? They did not even look back. Probably get themselves killed out there. Someone will stick a sword in them while they're looking the other way. With a snarl, he put his quarterstaff across his shoulder and started after. Are you going to stand there? He called to the thief catcher. I did not come this far to let them die now. Sandar caught up to him in the room with the whips. The three women were already gone, but Matt had a feeling they would not be too hard to find. Just find the men bloody hanging in the air. Bloody women. He quickened his pace to a trot. On this episode of Not the Beginning, we will be diving in and discussing chapter 51 to the end of The Dragon Reborn. Note, I have not read anything from The Shadow Rising, and Will is going to do his best not to bring anything from the next 11 books in during our discussion. If you've finished The Dragon Reborn, you should be good. If you haven't, I recommend pausing here and going to finish it. Chapter Summaries from DragonMountain.com Julin Sandar tells Nynaeve he has found the Black Aja sisters, but leads her into a trap. Leandrin shields her, then beats her for fighting back. Egwene, Elaine, and Nynaeve are captured and learn they are to be used as bait. Matt takes Tom, sick since their frantic search in the rain, to see Mother Gwenna. She recognizes Matt's accent and tells him Egwene, Elaine, and Nynaeve have been taken to the Stone of Tear. Moraine believes Rand is in Tear. Perrin and Fael have both dreamed of him holding Kalendor. Fael walks into a trap set for Moraine, a trap involving a dream Turangriol. Perrin intentionally walks into the trap, trying to save her. Matt studies the Stone of Tear from the rooftops, where he encounters several Aiel, as well as Julin Sandar, who agrees to help him free Egwene, Elaine, and Nynaeve. Matt detonates a load of fireworks in an arrow slit, intending to cause a distraction, and blows a hole open instead. Egwene wakes in the cells, then enters Teleron Riyadh to search for a way out. She finds one of the Black Aja and shields her. Perrin, as a wolf, fights his way through the Stone of Tear in the Wolf Dream. Rand is inside the stone. Rand reaches the heart of the stone and faces Bilal, who tries to goad him into taking Kalendor. Moraine arrives in the middle of their duel and balefires Bilal, but then Baalzaman appears. Rand takes Kalendor and chases Baalzaman into Teleron Riyadh. Egwene finds another Black Aja sister half-dreaming outside their cell and accidentally stills her, but cannot open the cell. Matt and Julin let them out and are given a tongue lashing. After several false starts, Perrin frees Fael. They wake. Rand defeats Balzaman and returns to the heart of the stone. Rand is proclaimed as the dragon in the streets of Tyr. Ruark reveals that the Aiel are called the People of the Dragon, and Barolaine delivers a letter from Lanfear, claiming Rand as hers. I'm sorry, Egwene does what now? I guess Egwene stills her. I forgot that that happened. I think I knew that that woman was stilled, but I forgot that Egwene just, like, casually stills her in the world of dreams. See, this is the joy of me not listening, reading these chapter summaries before you read them for the podcast. Really? Because... <laughs> what? Egwene goes on a rampage and stills a woman. I... I, I guess mean, go because, off. Like, immediately, like, still her and she wakes up and then Matt's there, so it, it's... It's just kind of like all happening all at once. And they're still kind of shielded, which is why it's confusing. Well, something that Egwene kind of learns is she learns how to tie off weaves so that they are still in effect, 
but she doesn't have to actively maintain them. And that must be so something that... she accidentally tied off their own... No, it's... Tying off a weave is, like, an active thing. Or, But she, like, she ties off the weave that is shielding them without really realizing that that's... No, it's different. The woman... I forget which one. I think it's... It's not Joya. It's Amico. Amico must have tied off the weave or... One of the other Black Aja sisters tied off the weave. Okay, and so she wasn't sitting there actually maintaining the shield. Yeah, she was just kind of like monitoring them. To make sure that like if they did get out. Right. They'd still be shielded, but you know, Nynaeve does punch people twice in this section. Let's talk about that because we open with Nynaeve kind of, she's shopping for food and berating people for how expensive food is. Because it's naive, and that's what she does. Well, and, every, and not, she's she's like, does no one care how expensive all this is? And then she stumbles upon as she's like walking. Another woman's like, this is ridiculous. Why is <laughs> why is this moldy turnip so much? And she's like, okay, I'm justified. Yeah, but then she goes back, um, which is the only one of the only little heartwarming moments in this section because everything else is batshit crazy. Yes, this section goes hard. This section goes as hard as the rest of the book didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's because Matt blows shit up. It's because Matt blows shit up. Anyway, eventually, kind of out while shopping, Nynaeve runs into Jewel and Sandar, who's like, hey, I found the women. We should go back and talk to the others. Mm-hmm. She goes back and is immediately face-to-face with Leandrin, who slams a shield around Nynaeve, but Nynaeve doesn't give a fuck and just punches Leandrin. Right in the face and then backhands Joya, which is... Yep. <laughs> And like, go, it go, really go, Nynaeve, go. <laughs> you get this later, but it really speaks to a strength of Nynaeve's in the, in and it's kind of a strength born out of her block. It's one of the things that she gets because of her deficiency in using the power, where she's not reliant on it. It's the same thing with her healing that. She doesn't immediately go towards the one power to try to heal someone. She will try to use her herbs first. Right. And that's kind of generally a problem with Aes Sedai, where they, they see everything as a problem to be solved with the one power and not as a just a problem to be solved. Someone shields you, punch them. Yeah. If someone shielded Moraine, her first thought would not be to punch someone. To be fair, lands would be. <laughs> yeah. That's but... why warders exist. Nynaeve doesn't need a warder. No, Nynaeve is her own warder, damn it. <laughs> queen. Um, <laughs> queen Nynaeve. But it it is ultimately ineffective in the face of several people who can channel. Yes. Because they just quickly just like slam her against the wall with the power and then start beating her with the power. And yeah. then they take her to the stone and that's about it. Oh, I guess there are two other things in that one section. Um, they threaten the shit out of Mother Gwenna. They're like, we're not going to kill you because you're not worth it. And you might be worth something later. And the great lord of the dark can only use you if you're dead. We can't use you if you're dead. So we're going to leave you alive. But if you say anything, we're going to make sure you regret it. Poor Mother Gwenna. She's having a bad time. And the other thing is that Leandrin has done something to, to Jewel and Sandar to make him do this. Okay. Am I forgetting that she had that power? Or am I thinking of... What's her face? Um, Morghese's old advisor. No, Leandrin has that power. 
Okay. I she forgot that she had the power to suggest tried, people to do things. She tried to use it on one of the boys in the Great Hunt. I think it was Matt. Yeah. I think she also tried to use it on the girls. Yeah, she's tried to use it a couple times. It's never been as successful because either Taviran or people who can already channel the one power. I mean, I think she tried to use it on Egwene, and we've already we've already determined that Egwene is Taviran. We have determined that Egwene <laughs> is Taviran. It's true. <laughs> I still maintain Nynaeve should not be Taviran in the show. Agree. Because she is her own goddamn woman. She makes her own fate. She doesn't need a warder because she's her own warder. Right. That kind of energy is why she shouldn't be Taviran. So... Next in chronology. Yeah, there are every single possible point of view is shoved into this section, maybe into the one chapter that makes up the bulk of this section. Yeah, and they weave through and jump POVs to really illustrate that this is all happening at once, which is effective. However, I think it's going to be easier if we pull one thread at a time. Yeah, especially because there's like three things going on. There are There's four three things. Plot lines, there basically. are four things going on until two of them merge. There's the girls. There's Matt. There's Rand, and there's Perrin. Right. Eventually, the girls and Perrin—not Perrin—the girls and Matt kind of meet up and become one and plot line. And then half of Perrin and Rand merge because I'm going to call Moraine part of Perrin. Right. Well, Moraine does her own thing anytime. So Moraine's like a little half plot. She shows up and. She jumps from Perrin's. Yeah, she jumps from Perrin's into Rand's tie, like plot line. Yeah. But so we get Nynaeve's POV, which we haven't gotten a lot in this book. We've we got, haven't. We it was mostly Egwene. We get a little bit of Nynaeve. Yeah, and she's then we also jump back with Egwene. Yeah, and then we jump back into Egwene. Yeah. And I think really the only reason that this section was in Nynaeve's POV is uh, there could be a trap, basically. Right. Egwene was already captured. Yeah, and it would not have been a good chapter opening. No. Otherwise. No. Uh, one thing we do get on Nynaeve before we move back to Egwene is that they're bait. Yep. And they're bringing, the Black Eyes was bringing 13 Merdral. Yep. It's kind of unclear who those Merdral are intended for. Because if they're bait, are they intended for Rand? Are they going to, are they trying to set a trap for Rand and turn the dragon to the shadow? That's the question I have about the 13 Merdral thing, and I can't remember the lore. Can that only be done once? What do you mean? Like, can you only ever turn one person to the dark that way? No. You can just do as many people as possible? Yeah. Do you have to use different 13 Merdral or nope. the same 13 and the same 13? Okay. That's why I was a little unclear. The way Leandrin makes it sound is like, we're going to turn you three and Rand and we're going to get everyone we can, which is very Leandrin. So. It is very Leandrin. Okay. That was a question I had because this book is so long and the only thing that I have really taken away from this whole thing that I remember actively as anything to do with Matt because we love him. Yes. And he's saving this, this book. This is a Matt Appreciation Podcast, which fits better with the whole theme of the series because Matt's a main character. Yeah. It's a Matt Appreciation Podcast. We're fine. Um, anyway, back yeah, to Egwene. Back to the, she the wakes plot. Up plot. From, she wakes up from a nightmare. And then she's like, you know what? I'm going to go back to sleep and I'm going to try to find my way out using the world of dreams. It's kind of weird how she must, she's clearly exhausted because of how fast she falls asleep. But she's just like, I'm going to go to sleep. And then just like in very quick order, Elaine starts stroking her hair and Nynaeve starts singing a lullaby and then she's asleep. And I'm just like, <laughs> damn, girl, I wish I could fall asleep that easily. Right? I envy her ability to fall asleep. 
So she goes in, she finds Joya, shields her, and, like, there's this moment of, like, I feel powerful and badass, and I also well, feel she, guilty about it. Because, she just like, bested an eye eye. And manages to shield her, hold her physically imprisoned, and has this, like, badass moment of, like, you will wake when I tell you you can wake. Right. Or else I'm going to leave you here. Right. In the dream world. It definitely seems like, uh, for multiple reasons, that they're... Um, the uh, the Turing Griel that the Black Aja are using are definitely inferior to the ones that she is using currently. Yeah. They're only half there, and because they're half there, it's giving her some ability to do stuff outside of the world of dreams. Right, and I think the main the reason that her Turing Griel is so much more powerful than these in this context is that she doesn't need to channel to use it. Right, she can be fully asleep. She can be fully present in the world. Well, not fully present in the world of dreams, but as present as one can be. And the only thing that she needs to do is to fall asleep. She doesn't need to right. channel, which is... All of the other ones require spirit to be channeled. Yeah. And so she goes, she shields her. They she learn... Finds the guard. Yep. They learn a very, clearly a very valuable lesson about why you can't fuck around in the world of dreams. Because that woman is clearly stilled in real life, too. I did not catch that she stilled her. I Neither thought I. she just shielded her. I I thought she just shielded her, too. I thought it was just a resistance thing. Like, uh, yeah. Amico was, like, actively resisting being shielded. But, nope, I guess snapping the shield down like that causes stilling. I guess. Maybe that's something we find out in the next book. And it Because be Dragon something. Mount tends, with their summaries, tends to pull some spoilers in a little bit. A little bit. Not too much. They just basically make things that were a little ambiguous more clear. Yeah. This, the dark friend thing. I still contend <laughs> that we do not know for sure that those were dark friends. The only thing that telling me that those things were dark friends is dragonmount.com, and therefore, Rand is crazy. Well, both things can be true. He made their corpses <laughs> kneel. Right, that's the crazy. He also just killed those people. Yep. Anyway, we're not on that section. We're on the end section. I still can't let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna we're gonna flash back a little bit. Uh, when Egwene stills Amico and they get out is when she and the girls meet up with Matt, who has been up to his own thing in tear. Yes, he has. So Tom gets sick. Yep, he was sick or at the end was, of the last section. Now he's, he's really sick. Right, he's he's not having a good time. So he drags him to a wise woman. Yep, and surprise, it's Mother Gwenna because plot reasons, and he's a Taviran, and he's lucky. Also, I feel like there's only one wise woman per town. So. No, not in a city. Oh. Tyr's like a big city. Yeah, true. It seems like one of those big cities that are not actually big cities. It's got a giant impenetrable fortress. Yeah, but the rest of the town people are barefoot and then like it's yeah, muddy. Yeah, because mud. And, and I don't know. It just doesn't feel like Think a Think about city. medieval Florida. <laughs> <laughs> That's not necessarily a Swamp. reaction. That's not necessarily a reaction to medieval Florida. Just, just Florida. Florida. Yeah. But <laughs> that's fair. Anyway, because it's so, a swamp town. It's gross down there. Yeah, it's gross and tear. I don't know why my grandma likes it so much. Because it's warm. Old people want to be warm. And sticky because it's humid. And I don't. Maybe maybe they don't mind being sticky. <laughs> they want to like be it. warm. They don't care how it happens. <laughs> I don't like it. But so you know, of course, it's Mother Gwenna. Yep. And. uh... She's like, you're not from here, but I recognize your accent. And then she tells him about the girls. Yep. The accent is how she identifies them. And also, 
It's confirmed by how distinct in appearance Elaine is. Because he's like, one of them has, like, red hair like the sun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. And, like, crazy blue eyes. <laughs> it's like, oh, red hair, accent. Yeah. Yeah, that's the people. And then one of my favorite bits of this section happens. And Matt is just flirting with Mother Gwenna. Yep. I adore it. Yep. He just is like... And Tom's he just gives her, there He gives to... her some money for Tom's medicines, which Tom is like, I don't want to take things. And she also like is like, I don't want to give it... You don't have to pay for this. He's clearly sick. And so he's like, here's for the medicines. Here's for the information. And then he stops. And then he kisses her on the cheek. And he's like, that's from me. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Tom, the entire time in the back, and is like, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then... I don't remember what else it was. I don't remember what else was said, but she said that he reminded her of her husband, (laughs) who also couldn't help but track mud in the house. Yep. And she's like, maybe one of these girls that you're that you're after will be able to tame you and teach you not to track mud in the house. And he's like, only you can do that. (laughs) Yep. And I just, I think. That section made me realize why I love Matt so much. And he's got the cocky, flirtatious, hero in a rom-com energy. Yeah. he's He's got rom-com hero energy. And that is why I love him. Because part of the whole thing with Mother Gwenna is that he's just like, damn it, now I need to go rescue them again. Because he went to Tyr to help. He didn't have to go to Tyr. Egwene doesn't, or Elaine doesn't know that Gabriel's sending men after her. No. He's just like, damn it, now I have to go help them because they're probably going to kill Egwene and Nynaeve and Elaine is nice, I guess. Yeah. And so now he's He's like, I'd like to dance with her one day. And now he's infiltrating the stone. <laughs> a legendarily impenetrable fortress I that just... is not so impenetrable when faced with the <laughs> sheer balls on Matt Cawthon. <laughs> So yeah, he gets out of he gets out of this conversation with Mother Gwenna is like, I'm gonna leave Tom here. Tom's like, You're good. No, you can't you have to take me with you. And then he just like coughs and falls down. And And Mother Gwenna just like like, hoists him back up and puts him on a bed. Like shoves some tea down his throat. (laughs) She basically like pours a cup of tea down his throat and then like holds his nose and mouth to make sure he actually drinks it. I do love Mother Gwenna. Yeah. Anyway, he's like, I'm going to go scope the stone. And so he goes on the roof. Yep. He's got the fireworks. He got the fireworks. He's got a tin box with some coals in it. Yep. Because, again, the ball's on Matt Coffin. <laughs> and he gets surprised by some Aiel, and he knocks two of them down. Yeah, he does. But then the others are like, hey, we are Aiel. We are not that easy to take down. Right. His luck only goes so far. <laughs> Yeah. And it clearly doesn't extend to... To Avienda. Because uh, <laughs> it, she's not named until way later, but Avienda's the maiden holding the spear to his neck. Okay. I thought that that was probably Avienda. Yeah. Just because or at least one of the one of the ABCs. Yeah. He does mention that uh, in, at the very end, he mentions that Bane and Shiat have been flirting with him, but that it's impossible to get one of them alone... <laughs> He doesn't realize that's not the play. I think he'd be okay with that play. It might be a bit too dangerous for him. <laughs> something tells me the maidens are not gentle lovers. And I... that something is having read the whole series. 
think he'd be like, you know what? If this is how I go, this is how I go. Yep. If I go on a threesome, I go on a threesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with like crazy strong as shit warrior women. Matt's okay with that. He's <laughs> like, gotta, someone's going to die eventually. Because Avienda's not about it. No, she's not. He asked her to dance and she's like, no. Yeah. And Ruark is just kind of sitting there in the corner when they're talking about this. Yeah. He's just like, it's Egwene Elaine Nynaeve. I'm realizing we're skipping way far ahead, but we're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> Egwene Nynaeve, Elaine, Matt. I don't think Perrin's there. Perrin is not there. No, they make a specific comment that Perrin is not there because... Moraine is, though. Stuff happens. And Ruark's just, like, sitting in the corner reading a book. <laughs> yeah. And Matt's just like, an Aiel reading is a really weird thing to be seeing right now. Like, they can read? Yeah. Which, like, come on, Matt. Yeah. It's, but, like, rude, but okay. Yeah. Rewinding a little bit. After kind of the rooftop party with the Aiel and Julian Sandar, Matt's just like, well, I'm going to cause a distraction so that the Aiel can get in. And he decides to climb up and he, he like remarks about how the walls on the stone are way too big. He's like, it's three feet wide. I wouldn't even, I would, I could walk this blindfolded. He like walks around the wall and he finds an arrow slit. And he's like, okay, I could probably shoot some fireworks in here, create a big distraction and slip in through the front gate. Yeah. That'll work, right? And so he does. Uh, he does put some fireworks at that arrow slit, and he he blows them up, and it blows a man-sized hole in the wall. Yeah. Because, well, he... <laughs> we, we forgot to mention one of my favorite bits leading up to this, which is, as he's deciding to go into the stone, he's like, what have I ever been sensible? Yeah. Which, if that is not just <laughs> the one line that describes Matt Cawthon... I don't know what else would. But yeah, so he, he um, sets but, yeah, off remember, the fireworks and he's like, what have I decided? What have I done? What have I done? Remember how like you, what you were thinking that uh, he was going to need to use all the fireworks by the end of this book? Yep, he did. He did. And he blew up a fortress. Yep. And part of me shudders to think of what would happen if you gave him actual explosives instead of fireworks, which are intended to like be pretty and like shoot up. Right. Well, what would happen if you give him like TNT? Yeah, what the hell would he do with that? Other what would than, he do with C4? I mean, we don't know for sure how the Dark One got released into the world. Maybe it was just a, pat, a past version of Matt Cawthon with enough explosives. <laughs> Shale Ghoul is just a crater where, with a flag that says, Hi, I'm sorry, my name is Matt. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. So yeah, he blows a hole in the wall and then gets in and starts, like... All the people in there are, like, running around being like, what the fuck just happened? And then so he fights a bunch of defenders. Yep. Along with Julian Sandor. Yep. Julian Sandor is there. He's he's helping. Because he feels guilty. Yeah. He's like, it felt like it was the right thing to do to betray them, but also it really didn't. He's like, something felt weird, but I couldn't not do it. Yeah. Which is like... Uh, like yeah, he was compelled. Yeah, he was compelled. Rip. But he seems fine now. Yeah. And he, he's atoning for it, which, like, he didn't have to do. No, he didn't. But he Because it bad. wasn't him. But he felt bad. Yeah, so he's going to go help. Yeah. And we do get some, like, quality Matt and Julian banter. Yeah. Because he's just, like, kind of giving Matt some shade. Yeah. And later when Matt is talking to the girls and they're berating him for helping them. Okay, yeah. So he goes in and he sees... Uh, whatever the Aesodai's name is. I keep forgetting. Amico. Amico. Just kind of sitting there, not moving. And I Julian's... really hope I'm right about it being Amico. 
<laughs> I've said it so many times. It could be any number of... There are 13 of them. There are 13 of them. But he sees the watcher eyes that I... Yeah. And she's just kind of sitting there... And Matt's like, well, I see the keys, so let's go for this. And Julian's like, that's my Sedai. He's like, yeah. <laughs> he goes, he takes the key, and he looks the girls out. And they're like, what are you doing here? We had this under control. They absolutely they did absolutely not. They absolutely did not. Because after it, after Egwene stills Amico, we're just going with that as her name, they're like, well, we're still shielded. It feels different, but we're shielded. And the door is still locked. But then Matt opens it. Nynaeve punches her. Yeah, no, and he, she gets knocked she's, out. She's still stuck from whatever Egwene did to her in the dream world, which like has to that has to be a uh, what you call it? that has to be a Turangriol thing, probably. Because if Egwene could channel in the dream world because she wasn't shielded in the dream world, she'd have to kind of be part in, part out of the dream world in order for the shield, the not the shield, the uh, the air. The, the flows of air to restrain her. The Amico. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so the first thing, before even saying anything to Matt, Nynaeve just, like, walks over and just punches her, and she retains the position she's held in and just gets knocked over on her side. Yep. It's like she was in rigor, and then Nynaeve punches her. Yeah. And then she gets knocked down. And then Nynaeve goes to berate Matt. Nynaeve is the only... Nynaeve kind of does equal measure berating and banking. She's the only one who actually... Even has a semblance of banking Matt. Only after he's like, I just saved your ass. What? Why aren't I being thanked? And she's like, you're right. You did right. save us. And, Egwene, and now we're going to go run into battle. Bye. <laughs> yeah. And Egwene just spends the whole time berating him. And Elaine is kind of staying out of it. <laughs> yeah. So Nynaeve punches Amico and Elaine's like, hey, my power's back. And then Nynaeve and Egwene are like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. He's like. I came to save you. Yep. This is the thanks I get. And then they run off into the middle of it, and and then that's where we get the quote. Because Matt's like, damn it, they're still going into danger. Somebody's just going to stab them when they're not looking. Now I need to go help them again. He's like, I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. Damn it, I'm going with you. Yep. And he just runs off. Yep. And that's the last we see of any of them until the end, pretty much. Right. That's all we see. Yeah, they... They have that... I don't really know what happens. ...like session with Moraine at the end, and Ruark is just in the corner. Which, we'll get to that, because there are a, f- a handful of important things there, too. Right. We discussed at least the important Latin character bits from that. Thing, yes. And then now, the rest we can discuss later. Yes. So then, we can talk a bit about Perrin, because Perrin's stuff doesn't fit in at all with anything. No. Really. We see some Perrin stuff, and then... He does not even show up at the end, other than Matt no. being like, where's Perrin? Because he's taking care of Fael. He is. They had some flirting because they were yep. walking back from the blacksmith. Yep. And... Who does have a name. I don't remember what it is, but like, he has a name. He's given a name. And he also gave Perrin, like, more detailed work to do. Yeah. Because Perrin's just apparently been working there while they're in tier. Yeah. So he... And Fael just keeps going and watching him. And he's flustered about it. He's like, I could deal with her berating me. I could deal with Moraine watching me. I can't deal with this random girl watching me. And he's, like, starting to comment on how she's pretty again. Yeah. And he's like, 
is she the pretty girl that men told me to <laughs> watch out for? If she is, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm in it now. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little sad that we don't see, because it does feel like a bit of a flip from him being like, I want nothing to do with her to, I think I like her. And it's because we spend time away from them. Yeah. And so I wish that, like... I think it's also partially how we're reading it. Because we ended with him being like, I need to figure out how I feel about Fail. And that felt out of place, but there was also, like, four or five days in between when we last saw them together in the previous section to that section. So, like, we're missing days. And if this was a romance novel, there would not be missing days. There would there would not be other POVs. It would just right. be if it was even just Perrin. Yeah. Which I haven't read many romance novels that are just in the hero's point of view. I think I've only read one, at least with um male female romances. Okay. But if it was just in Perrin's POV, we would still have those gaps in time filled in. Yeah. And but because we don't have it filled in because we've got to go to these other characters who have other stuff going on because this isn't a romance, this is a fantasy. Right. And because of it that, feels out of place, but I'm sure that there's some stuff that we've just missed. Yeah, and also because of that, their relationship or whatever it ends up being isn't frozen when we're not on them. Right. It isn't. It continues because there's time continuing. So right. we're just missing things. Yeah. It's like we're seeing slices of life with them rather than yeah. a full storyline. Yeah. Because it focuses on... The fantasy plot, not this right. romantic plot. Right. Perrin is where how fast things get kicked into high gear in this section really comes into focus. Because we go from him blacksmithing to Rand's in tier. Moraine and Lan are going to go there. Fael goes up and she encounters a very annoying hedgehog statue. And then we're off. Yeah, because she accidentally triggers this trap that was meant for Moraine. Right. Fayil and... gets trapped in the dream world, mm-hmm. which is not a good place to get trapped. And it seems like this is where, like, the Black Aja had Turangriol that only, so- like, they, like, pulled them sort of into the dream world, but they were still partially in the real world. This seems almost the reverse, where Fayil's partially in the real world because she is barely breathing. Her heart is barely beating. She's still alive, but she's almost, like, dormant. It's... Kind of like in Sleeping Beauty when she gets her finger pricked on the thing and she just yeah. falls into this deep sleep that she doesn't age and she's stuck that way for a hundred years, but she's barely breathing. She's barely alive. And so therefore she doesn't age. And I'm sure that if Fael were left like this for a hundred years, I don't know. Well, the difference is that Fael is trapped in Teleron Riyadh, not in sleep. True. So anything bad that happens to her in Teleron Riyadh would happen to her in the real world. That's true. And she's caged in there. Yeah. And Perrin pulls, uh, well, I've got to save her because I love her now. Pretty much. Like, like that kind of decides his feelings for her when he's like, oh, shit, now I have to go help her. And so he... Like, Perrin would help anybody. Though. He would. But he's like, damn it, I need to help her. Yeah, I think he would... There are not many people that he would risk going into this trap for. Right. He He, wouldn't do it for anyone. No. He's not that type of person. Any of the Two Rivers people. Yeah. I don't think he would do it for Elaine. He doesn't really know Elaine. He doesn't really know Elaine. But he would probably do it for the Two Rivers folk and Loyal. 
And I guess yeah. Nafail. Nafail. And there is a good loyal moment. He's like, she's so free. She doesn't deserve to be trapped. And then, yeah. and then Perrin's like, all right, I'm going to do a thing. And I need you to watch my back. And he's like, no one will get by. <laughs> <laughs> and Perrin comments on like, okay, this is one of those rare moments where I can actually see people thinking that the Ogier are... Right, because he's massive. He's massive. And he, his face turns hard and his like brows are furrowed. And he's like... No one will get past and live. And it's yep. like, okay, loyal. Damn. <laughs> loyal best friend confirmed. <laughs> Again. And also just, I just, I mean, that on its own is a great loyal moment, but I just loved his, she's so free. She She's too free to be trapped. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's like, oh. Loyal's great. Loyal's great. He remains great. Loyal's the best. Loyal's Perrin, great. Perrin, though, just leaps the fuck into the room. There's like a room and Moraine's like, do not enter the room or you'll get trapped too. <laughs> He's like, yeet. Yep. He just jumps right on in and he thinks he touches her before he gets pulled into the dream. He thinks so. But either way, he's in the dream world now. Yep. He talks with Hopper. He has his hammer in the dream world, not an axe. Yep. He has his hammer. Hopper warns him like, you should not be here. He's like, I gotta find my woman. And Hopper's like, fine. Fine. She's like, let's go. They find her, she vanishes. They find her, she vanishes. They find her, she vanishes. And this keeps going until finally he comes upon a bronze door covered in tiny little falcons. Yep. And he opens said door. Oh, he smashes it open. (laughs) Well, same difference. The book says it shatters like glass. It's a bronze door. Do not come (laughs) between Perrin and his woman. Yep. And then he's attacked by a bunch of falcons. And he's just like, gotta save her. And he sees... Like a a figurine of a a He sees this falcon just kind of sitting there with a chain around its leg. And there's a little hedgehog dangling from it. Which is just a great little detail. Oh, yeah. That's just great detail. It is kind of, if you think about it, it's a really insidious trap because you could you could maybe expect the, the dream the world of dreams we learn a lot more about it uh especially in the next book mm-hmm. but you could i think reasonably expect any human who lives for long enough within the dream of world the, the world of dream the dream of worlds um to gain some mastery over it yeah but if you're stuck in the brain of a falcon you probably can't get yourself out Perrin has an advantage because he shifts. He can become a wolf in the wolf dream. There's a section where he's young bull and it describes him closing his mouth, like biting the throats out of things. I missed that entirely. I don't know how. But no, he's literally a wolf there biting well, I think, things throughout. I think when I heard them say young bull, my brain went to the beginning of this book where he was kind of, they he w- thought he was young bull, but clearly he wasn't actually a wolf. Because it was the real world. So he was just a wolf inside a human. And so I think my brain just reverted to that. Uh, Not quite the case in the wolf dream. Okay. So he was actually a wolf. He was actually a wolf. But yeah, he gets attacked by a bunch of falcons. And then he comes out of the dream and Fahil's awake. And like crying over him because he's been very badly wounded. Yeah. She's just like, oh, my poor blacksmith. And she's like cleaning his wounds. And he's just like, my falcon. And then it cuts to black. Yup. And Which then I'm we sure don't was, see them. I'm sure it was awful for you. I was kind of just like, okay, yeah. Yeah. 
That tracks. It's a good, like, I feel like this is the first. That line was a little corny. A little bit. I was just like. But it was kind of, it was a little earned. Yeah. He just traversed a different world for her. I mean, hers, like, my poor blacksmith, it's like, fine. It's and it's like... also a bit of a, uh, like, a character point for Perrin, because he's switched in this section calling from calling her Zareen to calling her Fail. Yes, and it takes a while for the dialogue tags to switch to that as well, but by that paragraph, I think the dialogue yeah. tags have even changed. And that's very much intentional. Yeah, because he keeps, he's like, I'm going to keep, I'm going to call her Fail from now on, but the dialogue tag still says Zareen. Right, because he doesn't want her to be his falcon. Yeah. If he admits that Fail is her name because that's what she's choosing her name to be, that means that he's she's probably his falcon. Yep. The hawk has to be somewhere soon. Which, it as I was looking at the Min Aura readings to mm-hmm. kind of do a tally of what we got, what we got in the book, uh-huh. it's a female falcon and a female hawk, which if... Now, like, it's basically confirmed, like, he's he's even confirmed that Fail is the Falcon, uh-huh. which means that those are representations of people, which means that there's going to be a stupid love triangle later, <laughs> and I don't like it. Ah, uh, man. The, yeah. I don't, I hate love these. We might be reading the wrong series. I know, because Rand's <laughs> got his women... And Rand's is not as bad as Perrin's. I will say that. I'm just like, come on. Perrin's is okay in in Perrin's goes from like okay to basically non-existent non-existent to god damn it, why are we back here? <sighs> it's I'm more accepting of love triangles, love V's, whatever you feel like calling it, I argue that unless there's three sides to a triangle, so if it but was parents... The, the, that last link doesn't have to be a relationship link, it can be any link. But they have to be interacting in a significant way in order for there to be an actual triangle. That's fair. If it's, like, people call a love triangle, like, oh, someone's, you know, in a relationship at the beginning of the book, then they break up with that person, and then they start dating another person and those two people never meet, that's not a triangle. That is a V. There is no connection between the two points there. That's fair. But if they're like, if the two people are best friends, like, okay, yeah, there has yeah. to be other connection to get that third part of the triangle. Or if they're enemies. Or if they're enemies. Just something has to exist. There has them. to be a, a connection between all points in order for it to be a triangle. Okay. Because that's how shapes work. <laughs> that's how shapes work. <laughs> Confirmed here on this podcast. This is... We know how shapes work. <laughs> this is a geometry podcast. <laughs> I actually did like geometry in school. I hated geometry. I, I'm a programmer. I like I like logic, and a lot of geometry is proofs. I hate proofs. I, I don't need to go really, back there. I'm not really a programmer either. No. It's been years since I like actually worked as a programmer. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. Just because, kind of like how I can't say I'm a forensic scientist anymore. It's true. You were a forensic scientist more recently than I was a programmer, though. It's true, but you could go back to being a programmer. I, could. I, could. I cannot, because I, I was have... allergic to my job. Yup. That is not what this podcast is no. about. No, this podcast <laughs> is about the wheel of time. But I'm sure now everyone's like, what? <laughs> That's for later people to figure out. Yeah. So. That's just about all the parent stuff. 
that is. Because Perrin's is very short and contained. And he is not at all at the stone. But at he least he is in the stone. The door is in the stone. Rand comments how he heard like the sound of a gong while he's fighting balls. But now that he's woken up, they're not in the stone. They're not in the stone anymore. No. Yeah, he. There was overlaps of the dreams, and Perrin, I think, saw Rand running through. Everybody his dream. gets glimpses of Rand. Yeah, because Matt sees him in person climbing the stone. Yep. Perrin sees him running through the dream world. Nynaeve saw him while just browsing. Yeah, probably running to go scale the, the My stone. My question is, how did Rand get into the stone with nobody noticing? Because by the time Matt has blown everything up, and by the time the Aiel are there, and by the time Moraine is there, Rand is just standing in front of Kalendor, considering if he should take it. I'm gonna... You guys can't see audience, but, you know, the Spongebob imagination. Tavirin. (laughs) That's the right answer, and I think it's the only answer that will be satisfying, too. Tavirin. He could just walk right through. Yeah. All of the guards would be conveniently not at their posts. He could just slip through one of the arrow slits. I don't know. Rand's slippery, I guess. I guess. Anyway, he's in the he's in the heart of the stone. He is. He makes it to the, he makes it to the stone. He makes it to the heart. He sees Kalendor, and then Belal just comes in, just like swaggers in. Yeah, he's like, I knew you'd be here. And I set the trap, and he's just like, what trap? Because <laughs> Rand doesn't know. No, he just looks at him. He's like, hey, I've been seeing you in my dreams. You've been caging and then hurting my friends. And Bilal's just like, haha, I, I set a trap and you fell for it. And Rand's just like, I don't even know who you are. I was coming here anyway. Right. I want the sword. Right. And then they get into a sword fight, which is apparently the favorite method of fighting for Forsaken. Sword fight. Sword fight. Don't bother with the power. No, they're just, well, I mean, Rand kind of does, because he summons this flame heron blade, which is badass. Yes. And I'd love to see some art of that. And I'm pretty sure, I don't I don't remember I'd, exactly, well, but Bilal, I think, has a similar sword. Yeah. Made out of the power. And, I'd love to but, see some art of this battle, but not in the style in which the covers are drawn. <laughs> I would like to see some wait, actual, Wait, wait, hold like, on. Which Rand from the covers would you want if it were a Rand from the covers? Do you want Nick Cage? Do you want Fabio? I think I I think I need Fabio Rand. Fabio Rand with a flaming sword fighting somebody with a black sword. Yeah. Okay. I think I need Fabio Rand. Okay. That or the show Rand. Yeah. Show Rand would be good. I'm okay when like fan art tends to just use the Yeah. Cuz then you've got like you've got references when you're it's, drawing And it's consistent. And it's consistent. When you've got and when you've got a reference, use it. Artists yeah. need references. You've got a reference right there. Yeah. And like I I would say for like 99% of the characters, the show casting is kind of the definitive look for that character. Yeah. The only exception is Loyal, who looks way different, because how can you have Loyal in a live-action TV show and not make him look bad? Right. Without changing him. Right. And they hit the, they hit the characterization for Loyal, so it works. Yeah, it does. But yeah, I would imagine like maybe fan art for that, you might use the facial structure a little bit, but then just completely exaggerate it. Yeah. Anyway, Bilal, though, despite his sword fighting, does, I think, have a good reason for having a sword fight and not a power fight. Because he also has a heron blade. He has a heron blade, but also, well, actually, let's talk about the heron blade real briefly. He goes on about how swords were a sport in the Age of Legends. Like, they, they played, they, like, learned how to be swords, kind of like fencing. Okay. 
Uh, and then the war of power happened, and they had to use them to kill people. But they were very good at it. There is also a moment where Rand is like, I'm not scared of you. I've fought the Dark One. And he's like, you think Balsamon is the Dark One? Truly, you know nothing. Yeah. Which is just the first hint of a thing that I can finally talk about. If you listened to our show podcast, you know that I was absolutely outraged when we paused in the last episode. <laughs> and because it's freaking Amazon, when you pause, it brings up the casting information. And they named whatever the guy that Rand was encountering at the Eye of the World, Ishamayel. You could have named him Balsamon. You could have named him just the guy or whatever they ended up yep. doing. No, but they had to name him a Shamael. So I have been sitting this entire book on the fact that Balsamon is a Shamael because I'm trying not to spoil it. And now I can finally talk about it. Yep. That is, it's not like outright directly confirmed. No, it outright is directly. It's very, very heavily implied that Balsamon is a Shamael. Because Egwene's like, hey. Do we think Balsamon's a Shamael? And Morian's like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. Right, because they're like, hey, we killed the Dark One. Everything's fine. Because they found a seal, and they're like, seals don't matter anymore. He's dead. And Morian's just like, do you think the embodiment of cosmic evil would, would leave, leave a behind body. a body? <laughs> and everyone's just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I have... We can... Eh, we're on it, yeah. so we might as well talk about it. With the the seal. I'm wondering if... Because in the past two fights that Rand has had against Balsamon, a seal has broken. Uh-huh. I'm wondering if it's because he tried to kill a Forsaken and it didn't work. And I wonder if this time the seal was intact because he actually did succeed in killing a Forsaken. Okay. That is my only theory I, I would argue so that far. he did kill two Forsaken, or he killed one Forsaken in the Eye of the World. He killed Agonor. Yeah, but those were like low-level Forsaken. <laughs> Ashamael's clearly. Ashamael is the most powerful Forsaken. Yeah, it's not him that and the rest Lanfear. of them are slouches. So I'm wondering if him failing in killing Ashamael twice is what broke those seals. Okay, interesting theory. That is the only connection I can make as to why two seals broke. <laughs> either and this that's one... either that's it, or there just isn't a connection. Either, yeah, which is possible. It's it's a very large internally consistent series. So like, it's possible that there's just isn't a isn't a thing I other than do not accept that if there is not an answer by the end of 14 books as to why sometimes seals break and sometimes don't i will not be happy if there is an answer i don't think you'll like it as long as there's an answer i don't need to like the answer to the question but it's bad writing if you pose a question in your book or book series don't and you answer. do not answer that question i don't fair. have to like the answer that's fair but there has to be an answer yeah uh let's talk about Bilal a little bit more because of all of the Forsaken, I think Ishamayel Balzaman has a, a reasonable argument for having sword fights. Agonor didn't really sword fight, I guess. No, they just I guess kinda, it, it kind of makes sense. power fight. Because until... Um, and, and this fight with Balzaman is very different than the other two. The other two, he was still kind of trying to turn Rand. Yeah. And this one, he's like, no, I'm just going to kill you. And he tries. He, like, yeah. brings him into the dream world and is, like, conjuring water and crushing him and... All sorts of shit. Lava and... Right. Well, Rand kind of follows him into the dream world. So Rand grabs Kalendor yeah. and Balsamon's like, like, fuck, fuck. that. <laughs> Which is <laughs> no. another piece of evidence in, like, that's just the dude. Yeah. Because what happens is Kalendor is a Sangreal. The dragon reborn is wielding a Sangreal. It's time to run if you don't have fun yourself. 
Right. Which is, the, yeah, this is just a guy. And that's what Moraine's thing at the end is like, Moraine's like, or Matt's like, I saw his body. And she's like, do you really think the Dark One would leave a body? Right. But Bilal has a different motive for drawing out a sword fight, which is he's clearly currently better at using a sword. He's had hundreds of years of practice. Even though Rand is a blade master. Rand is a blade master. Rand he's, has this whole thing about, like, I'm not a real blade master. He's a real blade master. I can't win. It's like, okay. You killed one. You killed one. Like, it's fine. You killed one. You're a blade master. Right. Just because some old dude is better at using a sword, that doesn't mean you're not also good at using a sword. Right. I'm sure. Like, Lan is a sword master. I'm sure if he was fighting against Bilal, he would have a time, too. Maybe. Because, I mean, Forsaken. Right. Guy who can't channel. But the other thing is that Bilal is not using the power. And he's trying to press Rand into grabbing Kalendor. Because, as this book has made fairly clear, the dragon is the only one who can take Kalendor. But after it's been taken, it's anybody's game. Yeah, it's like only one person can break through whatever shield it is, but then it's fair game. It it breaks whatever the thing is. Right, it's no longer there. And so Bilal is trying to trick, force, press Rand into taking it, so then then he can instantly kill Rand and take a very powerful weapon. And then Moraine just kind of walks in and And, bail And just like snipes him him in the head with Balefire. (laughs) And then it hits him and he's just gone. Like, he's just, like, vaporized. He, just kind of, he he pulls a Voldemort at the end of... The, it's not even that. Uh, that's That was the image I had in my head of, like, he just kind of crumbles into ash and flies away, which was dumb in the Harry Potter movies. It works here. It works here. It's dumb in the Harry Potter. Because... He's just a guy. He's just a guy. You leave a body. Yeah. Um, but Like Balsamon. Yeah. Moraine balefires him, and then Balsamon shows up and just, like, yeets Moraine. Where's Lan? He's around. <laughs> I need <laughs> I need Robert Jordan to keep track of Lan. Because this is the second fucking time he's done this. Yeah. Lan deserves side character energy. And he is not getting it, and I am outraged. I don't yeah. You lose the plot with you lose the plot with Lan. Because he's a you'd think he's standing right there next to Moraine. You know who's also standing near Moraine? Nynaeve, where's Lan? He's not even mentioned. No, he's not. He's not mentioned at the end of Great Hunt either (laughs) when Moraine's there just trying to help heal Rand and Min's just like, I'm going to cuddle with Rand right now. Where's Lan? Yeah, that's fair. It's not the same as where is Min because actually just where is Min? Did she make She's it to the, the White did Tower? She, did she make it to the White Tower? Oh, that's true. We never actually see her at the White Tower. We just no. see her leaving for the White Tower. Did she make it? Did she decide, fuck it, I'm going off and doing it on my own thing? I don't know. Where is no. Min? But Lan, I presume, is there. So just, like, just throw in a line of, he he looks at Nynaeve with a face of stone, or he looks at Matt with a face of stone. Look at someone with a face of stone. Just, he's <laughs> Give clearly... Give him the old stone face. He, He's obviously there, unless he went to go check on Perrin. Right. And if he did, then throw a line in there. It's like, oh yeah, I sent I sent Land to check on Perrin because I had to be here to explain some shit to you backwards backwards fuckers. Yeah, and yeah, no, you're you're right. Land it's bad be writing. Land should be at, at the end of both books. He has forgotten a main character, and I'm gonna not a main character as in like drives the plot, but he's forgotten a major character. Yeah. In both scenes. And that's just, if with 3,000 named characters, 
He just forgot. It's not on purpose. Uh, I think Lan would have made it... I, like, a line or two about Lan would have been appreciated, but there are so many characters in this last section that, like, it might have made it a little too crowded to try and force Lan in there. Because if Lan's there, then you have to address Nynaeve and Lan. You don't have to address it right now. You can have Matt have a throwaway line of, like, oh, Lan's here. And then next book we have what I predict Right, but it would happen. be weird for Nynaeve to hold on to that. Like, Nynaeve, Lan would be able to, to remain stone-faced in there, but Nynaeve wouldn't be able to. Oh, then just, just an explanation of where a major character is. That's fair. He just, like, Lan's literally only purpose right now is seemingly to annoy Perrin, which seems like kind of a waste. I don't know. It doesn't seem like one of those, I've purposely left Lan out. Like That's fair. Robert Jordan clearly left Min out of the rest of this book on purpose. Yeah. We'll probably pick up with our next book. She's not missing. She's not. She's just not there. She's not forgotten. She's not there. Yeah. I you think, think Lan is forgotten. I think Lan is forgotten. Okay. I think that Lan keeps being one of those forgotten plot lines until you absolutely need him to annoy someone. Poor Tomas. <laughs> it's poor, worse than Tomas. Poor Tomas. Yeah, at least Tomas hasn't had development. He just no. exists. And most, I only have an irrational attachment to Tomas. He was in one line. You have a totally rational connection to Lan. I have a totally rational attachment to Lan, which is why I need to know where he is. That's fair. That's very fair. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. He is a minor character in this series. But you get I me, mean, we get more of him. I just, he is a minor character. But he is also basically attached to Moraine, who is a major character, That's at the true. hip. That makes him a major character, in a way. Okay. Like, I, I can take it. And, I think, and I think you're right. There should have been a mention of Lan. And if he is connected to Nynaeve in some way, like I hope he is, that also makes him a major character. You can't be Nynaeve's love interest and not be a major character. Yeah. So. That's fair. He has a big backstory. He does. He's not a minor character. Varen is a minor character. Okay. I mean, he's definitely, well, uh, I mean, Varen comes back. But as of right now. As of right now, he has, he's more important than Varen right now. That's yeah. very true. Like, he's, he's a B, he's like a B minus character. Okay. I can, I can accept that. And he should have been mentioned. Yeah. Twice. Twice we wonder where Lan is. Twice. Very true. We're not done talking about Balls of Rand, though. We're not. Because Rand grabs, Rand basically grabs Kalimdor and Balsamon like shows up and is like, whoops. He's <laughs> like, uh, gots to go. And he just like nopes off into the dream world. But And Rand like feels him shift something. The way he that described is pretty cool. Because like he's like, I can feel there was a shift in the environment. And so I just tried to do the same thing. Right. And just goes into the dream world. It's another... Which is an interesting description of how that happens. Yeah, it's another case of a very powerful channeler doing something intuitively. Yeah. Like, something about being strong in the power leads you to being better with the power, too. Mm -hmm. Because now we've seen Rand do it several times. But Elaine, Egwene, and Nynaeve have all also done it. And they're all noted to be stronger than most Aes Sedai. Right, you see... Maybe stronger than any Aes Sedai? I don't you think... see them do this thing where they watched someone do something once and then are able to just do it. Right, and Egwene here, in this section, like learns how to tie weaves off and handle multiple weaves at the same time, when she's like, I've never done this before, but I feel like I could handle way more than this. Yeah, she's like, 
I've done it now in the dream world. I think I could do it again in the real world, and I think I could handle more this time. Right. So, it's yeah, there's this intuitive, like, I don't know what word my brain is trying to supply, but... I don't know either. Intuition? I don't know. Like, intuitive intuition doesn't make any sense, but... Inherent ability. Yeah, okay. Talent, you could say. Talent, yeah. Talents are a thing. We'll learn about talents. Oh, okay. I thought you were just using vocab words. No, capital T, talent. Ah, talent, TM. Yeah. But Rand follows Balsamon. Rand, like, actively follows. It's not like Balsamon, like, left a portal. Like you said, Rand, like, imitates what Balsamon did and gets into the dream world. And the first thing Balsamon does in the dream world is shoot a fuckload of Balefire at Rand. Yeah, and he just kind of splits it. With Kalendor, which is very notable because... He's, he, 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 like, looks behind him after it, and he can see that everything that the Balefire touched is just gone. Yeah. No dust, no mist, nothing. Just destroyed. Right. Like, it was never there. And then, you know, this part gets a little confusing. Like, every Rand battle at the end of a book seems to be confusing. This is less confusing than the other ones, though. I think Rand knows what's up a little bit better here. I was equally as confused. Balsamon is in the dream world and manipulating it. And Rand is basically by sheer force of will saying, nah. Basically, what I got out of this is that the heart of stone falls or the stone of tear falls, whatever. I don't remember what any of these things are actually called because they call them so many different things. The heart of the stone is in the stone of tear. And which one is prophesized to fall? The stone. Okay. So the stone falls as he's chasing Balsamon, then he stabs him, and then he thinks he won the last battle. And it's like, okay, nope. you've done this twice already. You should know better. Right. But I mean, in his defense, he doesn't know that this is only the third book in a 14-book series. He doesn't. And he <laughs> has never before killed Balsamon. He thought he did, but this time there is a body. So right. body equals crime. Yep. As I was saying, for the past two books, no body, no crime. Balsamon's still alive. There's, There's been a crime. There's been a crime. Rand has done another murder. <laughs> Rand has actually done a murder this time. Balsamon is dead. Everyone dreamed of the fight. Yep. Everyone it's in not tear. in the sky this time. It's not in the sky. It's instead in dreams. And everyone in tears is talking about how they dreamed of the fight. And that one's kind of a weird, omniscient paragraph. Yeah. Because it's not like... It's like at the beginning of the book. It's a... Yeah, it's it's just like this little omniscient paragraph, which you get, like, everyone was dreaming about it. Not Matt heard everyone talking about right. people talking about dreams, or Nynaeve heard, or Moraine, or, yeah, it's just like this little interesting omniscient paragraph. And then we get back to Matt. I think it's interesting that we end the book with Matt. Well, this is really the first book that Matt's a actual, like, character with agency. Yeah. In books one and two, he was just kind of along for the ride. But usually, I mean, in the last book, I guess we did end with Min instead of Rand. Didn't we? Have we ever ended with Rand? In book one, we end with Moraine. We just end with M characters. That's what's happening. Moraine, Min, Matt. Yeah, that's that's the only thing. Who's that's... next? Probably Matt again. I don't know who ends book four. I don't know. Well, so we end with we Matt. Yet. We talked about him trying to hit on all the Aeol women and all of the Aeol men finding them, finding this hilarious. Mm-hmm. And Perrin isn't there. The can the the seal didn't break. I cannot say that word. The seal. Whatever the Queen Dr. Queen Dr. Yeah. Heartstone. I'm, heartstone. Yeah, the heartstone didn't break. Yep. Balsamon is not the dark one. Nope. And it's... Egwene's like, hey, I read a thing from Varen and. Could Balsamon be a Shamayo? And Moraine's like, yeah, sure. That works. 
And then a pretty woman with nice tits comes in. That's basically what Matt's description is. Berylaine. <laughs> She's mentioned a little earlier. Is she? She's the first of Maine. I don't know what that is. It's like a city-state that's like sort of kind of... Has she been mentioned here. before this page? I don't know if she's mentioned by name. she I think she was mentioned by name. I do not remember if she was. So this is my first introduction to her. Yep. And she comes with a note from Lanfear, which is basically like, I've got to go do some things. Take care of Luz Theron for me until I come back for him. Yep. Power move. Power move. Why do I like Lanfear? I don't know. She's crazy. She's crazy, and I appreciate it. Like, I do not want her to win. I want to make that clear. Like, I do not... I'm not rooting for her. <laughs> but I like her. She's just interesting. She's That's fair. She's adding interesting bits to this book. Berylaine, too, is also like, you should tell the dragon I'm going to have dinner with him. <laughs> yeah, she just kind of walks in and... She's got the confidence of a pretty woman with great tits. She does. She does. She really she does. She probably doesn't slouch because it does no favors for her tits. No. And it's no wonder Lanvir picked her. She kind of looks a little bit like Lanfear. Yeah. But, and the only reason that I wasn't like, oh shit, is this actually Lanfear? Is because Matt has seen Lanfear before, so he would have just been like, oh shit, Lanfear's here. But Lanfear is also known to disguise herself. That's also true. It could be... But why would she show up and be like, here's a note from Lanfear? (laughs) Power move! (laughs) To make them think that she's not there. I guess. So that she can weasel her way in. What do you think Lanfear's up to? I don't know. I really don't know. Like, and I thought I had a theory about the dreams and Rand and all of these towns having dreams about Rand. And I just don't know anymore. Because, like, everyone was dreaming about the fight with Balsamon. And is that because the Forsaken are causing the dreams? Because, like, in each of the towns that you go to where everyone's talking about having dreams about Rand. There's a, a Forsaken There's a charge. Forsaken in charge there. Well, except for... Maybe Camelin. Yeah, I don't trust Gabriel. I'm still on the I'm still on the headcanon of You think he's Forsaken. I think he's a Forsaken. But we have no confirmation of that, so it could just be a theory. That's fair. And so like are the dreams are Rand, is Rand causing the dreams? Is a Forsaken that is is it because a Forsaken is in charge in that city that people are having dreams? Is it land fears there causing people to have dreams? What are What is this everyone having the same dream about Rand thing? I have no idea. Could be... I mean, it could have been one thing and now is another. Because Rand has caused weird visions before. He has. He is Tavirin. And, like, when they get to Tyrion, I think there's a moment where then Mormorain's, like, Rand is in Tyr and Parents like, are you sure? Because there hasn't really been anything weird. Like, no one's gotten married a whole bunch. And, and she's just no like, no wells have dried up. But what about all of the weddings and the number of murders that have happened? And she's like, it doesn't have to be outrageous for it still to be Rand. Right. So yeah, that's this section. Let's talk about some book things. It was a long book, and I had to go through my notes. We had to like talk about it a bit. Do you remember what actually happened at the beginning yeah, of this book? It, it starts in one place and ends in a very different place. Because I have honestly forgotten anything that didn't have to do with Matt. <laughs> Matt kind of does, does 
have a spotlight on himself, especially in this book. Yeah. Like, when he gets healed, which takes a long time into the book to happen. Yeah, when I was looking through my notes, that was episode four. Yep. Why did we even bother with the first three episodes? <laughs> <laughs> what happened in those? Um, a lot of sad boy hours happened. And a lot of, I think, the accepted tests happened before Matt gets healed. I think so. No, I don't. Yeah. Because they don't really get the freedom to do stuff until after. Yeah, I don't remember. But yeah, so Matt gets healed. Perrin finds that other wolf brother. Yep. So. And that kind of like, I think before he met Gnome, he was probably going to take less time to accept his wolf brother nature. Because the only other wolf brother he had met was Elias. And he didn't really want to live like Elias, but at least Elias was sane. Yeah, so now I think he's going to be on a path to try to find the middle point between Like those. being a super hermit and being a wolf. Yeah, like he wants to be able to have a wolf pack, but maybe not have the pack be actual wolves. Literally be wolves, yeah. Yeah, like how can I channel my wolf energy but still be with my human friends? Right. Can they be my pack? Yeah, because he doesn't want to lose himself to the wolf which is the whole his whole thing and that kind of comes out in this section with Fail where he's so focused on rescuing Fail that he becomes a wolf and it's interesting because like you said he doesn't want to lose himself to the wolf I think both Gnome and Elias have lost themselves to the wolf in that way I don't way. know that that's the case with Elias but he he refuses to be around people he right, but only he is choo- ever with the but wolves he chooses to he's not some He's not an animal. He he does. He's not dangerous to the people around him. No, but he has submitted himself to his wolf nature in that way. I, I would that's, say that's probably just the balance that he's found because he's happy. Yeah, he's not. He has control over himself. I'm not saying it in a bad way. I think just both are on. They're on the same spectrum. Yeah, and and honestly, we don't even know that. Like gnome is just a different way. We Hopper is alive in the wolf dream. It could be that gnome is just a just more wolf than person. Yeah. And so he'll eventually die because he's trying to be a wolf in human form in the real world. But then he'll live on in the wolf dream it's as possible. a wolf. Clearly, it's possible if parent can shift. Yeah. I just say, like, I think it's on the same spectrum in the same way that, like, you know, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's... And, whatever the indifference indifference you know the love and hate are on the same spectrum they're on they're similar just opposite but that doesn't okay like so i think that in that way elias and gnome are kind of similar in the way that they've okay either fully succumbed to the wolf or fully submitted themselves to the nature of them being a wolf okay because elias is like he is not around humans, only nope. with wolves. And in that way, like, he hasn't lost himself to the wolf. He's just allowed himself to basically be like, I am a human wolf. Whereas yeah. Gnome is like, I am a wolf human. Okay. Human wolf, wolf human. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. And Perrin would like to be like, I would like to be a human wolf human. I would yeah. like to somehow keep my wolfness. However, right. I don't want to not be around humans. Yeah. Perrin's got a large journey ahead of him with the Wolf Brother stuff. 
Yeah, I it is nowhere near resolved. And I just figure he's got a large journey ahead of him in general because there is a whole lot of vision stuff that we haven't gotten to with him. It's book three of a 14-book series. Like, we've crossed out both of Land's visions. Yep. But we're still, you know, there's... We're still getting new ones about Flowering trees, a broken crown. I think those... And we've gotten the Aeolman in a cage, but a Tuathon with a sword... That hasn't, happened, that hasn't yet. happened yet. We still haven't met the hawk, but nope. that's probably going to be some other woman, and it's going to be a stupid love triangle that gets better and then not gets better, based on what you said earlier. Sure. Hate love triangles. <laughs> but Something I feel obliged to note here is how often they get on and off of boats in this book. It feels like every section, somebody got onto or off of a boat. I feel it is important to also point out all of that mentioned of boats. Where's Bill Doman? Where's Bill Doman? You say he comes back. He does come back. So like lesbian pirate Gail Doman comes back, except he's not a lesbian and is not a, a man and is named Bale. And as you said, and he's once, not a pirate. He's not a pirate. He is a smuggler. He's just a smuggler. Which is like okay, what's his face from Game of Thrones? <laughs> yep, they get on an awful lot of boats. Yeah. Um, that's not that important. What is important though is. Matt being a little shit. I have to just say, Matt saved this book for me. Yeah. I, I could tell that the further you got into it with the Matt stuff, the more you were enjoying it. Yeah. I, he ha- he really did keep me reading this book, which I like character-driven stuff, so it's not all that surprising that... Well, and it's nice here because A it's... character drove my love for a book. Yeah. I mean, I still, like, this book is, like... Yeah, it was good. It was a book I read. Yeah. High <laughs> <laughs> praise. What I think is nice about this book is that it's definitely a reintroduction to Matt. Yeah. Like, we don't... He's not really developing as a character because we haven't met this Matt yet. No, this is post-Dagger Matt. We get a little bit of a glimpse of the same Matt he was in the fact that he's, like, he's charming and he's fun. And... Yeah. And he flirts with older women. <laughs> Love it. But... It's a different Matt in the sense that he's, he's got more of a an appreciation for life in yeah. a way because he almost lost it. Right. And he, I think he's been too busy, but we get hints of him kind of struggling with the holes in his memory that the dagger left. Yeah, because when he gets to Camelin and people are like, oh, you were like here before. And he's like, I just don't remember this. Right. And he mentions that at the end that... He has holes in his memory that you could drive a whole cart team through. Yeah, and he's trying to figure those out, but he keeps getting pulled in a different direction and not having to think about it. Like, he was starting to think about how he has all these gaps in his memory from Camelin, but then he finds out about Elaine having a hit on her, and he's like, well, I gotta go save her. So it just why, he just forgets about it. Right. He pushes it to the back burner. He's very much like... This is not on fire, therefore I'm not even going to think about it. Right. Does Matt have ADHD? Maybe. He might just also be hyper. He might just be hyper. But he's got got some chaotic... Uh, Well, he's got disaster by energy. Well, that's what makes me think maybe he also has... Most disaster by also have some sort of neurodivergence going on. Fair. Potentially he has ADHD. I don't think he does. He's too... He, He can do multiple things at once. Really, really easily. He can juggle well. He's lucky. He is lucky, which helps. (laughs) 
But yeah, Matt saved this book. We do love Matt. We Especially do. when he beat the shit out of Gawain and Galad while still sick. Yup. Because he was eating a shit ton. Yup. He came back. He like got out of it and he was like, oh my God, I'm going to fall over. And then just like steals the quarterstaff and, you know, yeah, he did beat the shit out of Gawain. And he Galad. remains lucky in fighting because when he's in the tier, he like has a little bit of trouble with the High Lord, High mm-hmm. Lord Darlin. And he like wraps up fighting the High Lord and just like slings his quarterstaff over his shoulder and bonks another High Lord in the head and just about knocks him over just by doing that. Yeah, he's like, oh, and then like hits he's... him in the stomach and then hits him again over the head and then he's down. Yeah, he's got like comedy fighting style. Yeah, it's it's like that moment where you're like you're carrying a board on your shoulder yeah. in a comedy and then you like turn around and you swing and you hit someone or that person has to duck and basically the High yep. Lord did not duck. No. Except Matt also knows how to use a quarterstaff because he beat Gawain and Galad. Yeah. I think the only thing, I think what his luck did there was count counteract him being sick. I think that's yeah. the only thing that Tiburonis did. It was like, you have the energy now. But I think, yeah, that was bas- basically pure skill. Yeah. And Galad needed to get taken down a peg. He did a little bit. Gawain was a good sport about it. Gawain paid. Like, he's like, here, yeah, you, yeah, you, you beat won. me. You, you bet. You bet. You won. Here you go. Good job. Yep. I'd like to fight you again sometime. Yep. And then we don't see Gone and the Grillad again. Really. Nope, we really don't. I wonder if we see them next book. I think we do. I'd like to see Gone. I kind of there is an I event. Gawain to there is an event coming up, and I don't know if it's in this book or or if it's in book four or five. You also say that Gawain has a time. Gawain does. They, everybody has a time. It's the wheel of time. But um. Psh. Yeah, it's the wheel of times that people have. But I'm just intrigued by Gawain, because you're like, oof. Yeah, oof is kind of right. Anyway, two other main things happen in this section. Or in this book. In this book. Thank you. Egwene and Elaine go through their accepted tests. We know Egwene's is quite traumatic. Yes. And Elaine's is probably similarly traumatic, although maybe a bit less because there's no Turangarel resonance thing going on. Yeah. She doesn't get stuck in there. Right. But, I mean, they both have a similar emotional reaction, so. Right. Well, it seems purpose built to do that. Yeah. They meet Alana for real. We've met her in the show. I like her in the show. Yeah. You think she might be a dark friend? Uh, She might be a dark friend in the book, and I don't like it. (laughs) Yikes. And then the only other really important thing is that Rand has sad boy hours. You keep, like, this is a Rand book, I guess, but it's really not. It's a Matt book. Well, it's named The Dragon Reborn. It's a Matt book. It's a Matt book. It's a Rand book with no Rand. Because it's about, it's, Rand drives the plot here because everything they're doing is following Rand. Yeah. Egwene, Elaine, and Nynaeve are following the Black Aja who go to Tyr to trap Rand. Matt goes to Tyr to follow Egwene. Because they're going to follow the Black Aja, Aja. and the Black Aja's following Rand. Yeah, It's a Rand book that's not about Rand. Yeah. Rand is the plot of this book. He's just not a character in it. Which is so weird. It is. It's a weird book. It's a weird book. It was a book that was meant to be the end, and then wasn't. And then there were supposed to be six books, and then there were 14 yeah. Still got... Book six does not end as weirdly. Book six is not as weird as this book. Okay, that bodes well. Book six does have... It, it is a bit slow, I think, but it has one of the most intense scenes in it. 
Okay. So it's build up to the end. I mean, that's like three books from now, so. Yeah. Anyway, that was, I, what else do we have to talk about the book? General impressions other than why is it so weird? I think, like, it wasn't bad. It is a slow starter. Yeah, sure. it's a slow starter, and a lot of it feels out of place, and it's just really dense. And I think yes. it could be that part of the sections that I liked were sections about Matt, and those sections felt more character-driven than plot-driven. And I like character-driven things. It's why okay. if I read fantasy, I prefer fantasy romance. Okay. Because it's, like, you get the benefits of having a fantasy which is the world building and an external plot. But you still get all of these really great character-driven moments. And with Matt, there are Matt's POB, and later when we meet Fael. Matt and Fael create these character-driven moments in an external plot situation. Okay. And I just really like those, like... And thinking back to the moments that I liked the most out of the eye of the world, one of my favorite moments was when they were walking through the ways and the three boys were able to just, like, kind of rib on each other and, like, talk about girls. Right. And similar sections in The Great Hunt when they finally, when they're just, like, able to kind of chill and right make fun of each other and yeah. have this camaraderie. And any moment with Loyal when he's, like, you know... Well, I mean, I any moment a... with loyal in general. But usually it's like a not loyal to do with the plot. It's loyal, like, you know, you're my friend, I'm going to stick with you kind of stuff. These are all like these little character-driven moments. And I think why I liked Matt's sections so much is because it's not focused on world building and plot in his head. Yeah. It's focused on him flirting with Mother Gwenna or right. gambling things away or... Okay. Being being a little shit. Okay. And we get a little bit of that in some other POVs. Fayil mostly. Yeah. That scene with Nynaeve and Mother Gwenna. Yeah. Completely unnecessary, but nope. great. Yeah. Like, we don't... That scene does not contribute to the plot. Not really. Matt beating Gawain and Glod in a fight doesn't really contribute to the plot. Sure. Him gambling a whole bunch doesn't really contribute to a pl- contribute to the plot. Like he could have gotten to tear without all that money. Fair, okay. I think that's a relatively good take. So, so I, I like the plot. This is a weird having reread it and really rereading it in sections is so different than rereading it all the way through. Mm-hmm. The sections kind of highlighted the weirdness, and part of it I think was where we broke sections up because like you can get through the first chunk. We said. Matt's healing doesn't happen until episode four, which is really late. I felt like it happened way earlier. Like I just like my impression of it was that it happened way earlier. Same, because like, I don't remember what happened in not, episodes one through three. Not much aside from the accepted test happens in those first sections. Yeah, and so it's weird reading it in sections and being like, okay, I know things are happening in this, but like the further we got into it, I was like. Jesus Christ, the back half of this book is loaded, and it was. Yeah, it definitely started to pick up in this back back forth in this act three. Right. It, it's like that, that like graph of a story is like really shifted, and we don't really get a falling action. No. Like, we, get the, we end on the climax. We get a, a tiny bit of resolution, which is not normal for past two books. Usually there's a longer resolution scene. Right. At least a couple chapters. This one was like one short chapter. Yeah. It's like Rand kills 
balls him on. And then we cut to Matt. And then we cut to Matt for like four pages and then it's done. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's a bit odd. It, I think mainly what why this book is like, I enjoyed a lot of parts of it, but the pacing was just so off that I can't ignore it. Sometimes when the pacing in a book is off, I'm able to ignore it. And then this That's one, fair. This is not one of those times. It has me... I, I am kind of on the fence about season one of the show. The, the more I think about it, the, the kind of like more eh I get about it. I think season two, if they're doing Dragon Reborn and Great Hunt, has a huge opportunity to be so good. Because so much of this book can exist at the same time as The Great Hunt. Especially with how they've done Matt's character arc in season one. Right. Because we can have Matt going off and having adventures with Tom while everyone else is chasing Rand because he left after the eye of the world. And I think it's very possible that a lot of the more eh bits that I found in season one of the show were because they needed to set up the wider world that we get in this book especially, but starting in book two. Where yeah. it really opens up. And book four is where, like, the whole thing is just, like, the band-aid's ripped off. You're in the wheel of time now. Yeah. And so they could do that with... They, they have to, like, keep it narrow with season one. And I think they should have kept it more narrow. But they can open it up a little wider in season two if they're doing The Great Hunt and The Dragon Reborn. And I think that there's an, there is an interesting opportunity for them to combine a lot of what happens in The Dragon Reborn and a lot of what happens in The Great Hunt together. Right. And I think just, like... I liked The Great Hunt a whole lot more, and I'm not sure where this falls in my enjoyment of the books. Because, like, I did really enjoy the Matt stuff so much, but if I think yeah. about just, like, actually the book as a whole, like... That's fair. I think it's probably below Great Hunt. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the, I the book it, is a whole item. It's not just the Matt parts. And I think it might actually be behind The Eye of the World, too. Totally fair. Which I didn't The think. Eye of the World is new, and you're you're thrown in, and you're like, this is a... You're thrown into Rand's point of view, and Rand is this naive farm boy experience. It, it's it, it's the Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he's naive and new, and the world is moving around him. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like, the, it's not the most unique in the first book. I can admit that. I, I'm a fan of it. I like it a lot, but... It was unique to me, but I don't read a lot of big fantasy, so... Yeah. But what strikes me about it, and it it's part of what's weird in this book. There's a whole lot that is weird in this book that is summarized by it was supposed to be the end and wasn't. But the world moves regardless of the characters. Mm-hmm. You get that sense really well in the first book. And in the third book, when you're not with the character doing the moving, it's weird. Because Perrin is kind of being dragged along by Matt, and a lot of this book is in Perrin's perspective, or not by Matt, by Rand, and a lot of this book is in his perspective. And so we're just like, okay, we're just moving from point to point, following the plot, literally following the plot. We're not even watching the plot. We're just following it. We're seeing the after effects of it. Yeah, it's just weird. And, like, I think it's something that all of, the three books have in common is that they're just dense and they're not these aren't accessible books you have to get into them you have to get into them i would i would argue with they're not accessible you read epic high fantasy this This is is, not this is one of the first epic high fantasies i read though however this is not if you were if someone were to come up to you and say i have never read a fantasy book in my life 
Okay, well, if they're just asking for fantasy books, I'm going to send them to Mistborn. But uh, this, this is what I'm getting at. This is not a book that if you've never read fantasy before, that you can jump in and not be overwhelmed. Fair. To, and to me, I, like... I think the Eye of the World is less that than The Dragon Reborn, which makes sense because The Dragon Reborn is book three. I th- but I think just as a whole, the series is not the most accessible. That's and fair. I, again, I... I disagree. I think but that... But it's accessible to you. That doesn't necessarily mean it's accessible. Like, just because something is accessible to one person doesn't make it right. not, but also, not accessible. But also, just because it's not accessible to some people doesn't mean it's not accessible. Yes, that does. Like, that's... I find that it's just... I'm. This is not as accessible to me. That's and totally so, fair. And I you know, exist in book spaces. And that's a comment that I've heard from a lot of people is that, like, they had to come back to the Wheel of Time after reading a whole bunch of other fantasy series. Also fair. So it's... I think that's the struggle. It is, I think, one of the things about the Wheel of Time is that it's so long and that a lot of people will see it and think they have to read it all the way through without breaks or anything and that they have to get everything the first time, and you just don't. Like, I'm finding new things in this reread, and I don't even know which reread this is. Yeah. Like, you can you can read these books and not pick up on everything, and it will still tell you a good story. It's just a little bit harder to actually get the story. Okay. If you're not a fantasy reader, which I'm really not. Yeah. Like, at least this type of fantasy. It is certainly not a book aimed at non-fantasy readers. And there are some fantasy books that are more bridges. It's Yes. Like you mentioned Mistborn. And yeah. that is one of the books that I see as being really accessible high epic fantasy. I don't know that I'd call Mistborn an epic, but it is high fantasy. I mean, if you're encountering encountering like the Cosmere. Yeah. And like also just the books themselves look like big old boys. Yeah. Well Mistborn isn't huge. Actually, I'm saying that, and I think Mistborn is about the length of the Dragon Reborn. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. But Either way, it's not... I, I think that it's not necessarily that it's not accessible. It's just it's not. it doesn't have an overlap with other things. That's fair. And I'm... Like, it's, it's just hard to get... And I think with Eye of the World and the Great Hunt, because the plot felt more consistent throughout, once I was in the book, I was in it. Okay. But this one, every time I stopped reading, I was immediately pulled out. And so it That's took fair. me, every time I opened the book again, I had right. to take a couple pages to get back into it. it is... And I did not have that problem with Eye of the World or Great Hunt. It took me a couple chapters into the book to get in. But once I, like, if I put the book down, I was just pressing pause, not stop. Okay. It was like, this book felt like listening to an audiobook on Spotify. This is a weird analogy, but like on Spotify, it doesn't track where you are in the audiobook. Oh, you just have to guess. You have to guess. <laughs> <laughs> and so like if you stopped listening to a track on Spotify and then you go and listen to some music, you have to go and find the track you were on again and try to find your point in the middle. It's not like listening to an audiobook on Audible. Okay. Where it keeps where you're put it keeps your place. Yeah. And I, I reading it in sections, I got a little bit of that. Where I was like, okay, what where were we? Yeah. And I don't know. Because we did read this faster than The Great Hunt. A little bit. Not much. Not much faster, but so it's not necessarily... I think we, actually, thinking about it, we might have read it a little slower. Maybe. Because we had... It, 
listeners wouldn't know this, but we had uh, like a three week break because every time we tried to record, something was happening. Yeah. Either our cat was screaming, stuff in our personal lives, work. So there was like a three week break in this book right around when Matt was starting to be a little shit that we couldn't record. And we were stuck because we didn't want to read ahead. Right. That might have also. The point of the podcast. That's not the point of the podcast. That (laughs) might have also impacted how we think of this book because we had we had a break that was as long as our breaks between books in between the middle of this book that's true so we had a first later sections that it happened and the later sections i enjoyed a lot more yeah which i think helped us pick it back up yeah it just was a weird book it's a weird book it's a weird book not my favorite i yeah um having reread it now also not my favorite. I don't know what is my favorite Wheel of Time book. It might be Memory of Light. Is that the last one? That's the last one. It's so satisfying. <laughs> and like, uh, it's so satisfying. If nothing else, the Wheel of Time is getting through, is worth getting through because of how well it ends. Yeah. There no, are... and I can see that this is going to have some payoff. And I think that maybe some of the weirdness in this book won't be weird once we get past this book yeah but and maybe the disjointedness of this was on purpose because it was also the introduction to the dream world yeah and the dream world's a weird place it's a weird place so it's just a weird book but so i did enjoy it it just was hard it was hard to read it's a wheel of time book i enjoy all of them you know what i enjoy recurring segments recurring segments yeah ship updates we're doing them out of order yeah ship updates (laughs) throwing me off it's not in the outline gotta keep you on your feet okay um obviously i lanny is still mm-hmm. the main the main ship but perrin and fail have promise yeah yeah okay okay that's really the only ship that's actually come out of this other that's than true the little gawain dinghy matt with everyone matt with everyone and then yeah. you, matt needs gawain's just like rowan matt with uh bane and bane and shiad bane and shiad yep Cool. The threesome we will not get. No. Weird prophetic auras. We have confirmed that Fael is the falcon. Yep. We don't know what the hawk is. Yep. Perrin also had the Aiel in a cage. Mm-hmm. So those were the new ones that we did get um, conf- confirmation of. Rand finally got the sword that is in the sword. He is in possession of Calendar. He is in possession of Calendar. There is some stuff with... Nine, or not Nynaeve's dreams, Egwene's dreams, but I think yeah. a lot of them were just expansions and some of them were nightmares. So I would need, to, might need to go through my notes again and like really explore those okay. again to see if any of them are worth adding to the list of recurring things that we keep track of. Sure. But yeah, that's basically, at least with the men's weird prophetic auras, those were the confirmations that we got. Okay. Favorite moments. It's the end of the book. We're going to do two of them. We are. This section and the book. So this section, I think, for me was Matt flirting with Mother Gwena. Okay. That's fair. Yours is also a Matt moment. It is. He blew a hole in the fucking Stone of Tear. Is that your favorite moment of the whole book, though? I don't know. I have three that are all kind of up there. Matt blowing a hole in the stone is up there. Mm -hmm. The blacksmithing scene we just got with Perrin in the last section. Um, just a really nice character moment. Yeah, it is um, a nice character moment. Matt beating the shit out of Gawain and Galad is like, hello, I'm Matt. I'm back in this book now. It is. It's very much like, hello. And they're all great. 
the blacksmithing scene and the Gawain and Galad stuff are like up there mm-hmm. for me with like the whole series. Okay. Um, I would not have put the Gawain and Galad that scene. It's, it's iconic. It's up there, but okay. It's iconic. Literally, the Amazon show did a short kind of talking about the story that the warder told of the guy who beat the most experienced swordsman with a... I forgot that that was part of that scene, and that is iconic. Yeah. That was a good... I forgot about that. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. What about you? What's your favorite book scene? Am I allowed to say Matt? I mean, I don't see anybody stopping us from doing that. (laughs) So, yes. I did really like the blacksmith scene, though, too. It's just good. It was good. And then a special book, end of a season recurring segment, predictions. Okay. So even though we don't have on-page confirmation of where Lan is, he is in tier, yep. and so is Nynaeve. Mm-hmm. And so there is going to be some sort of angst there. There's going to be some sort of reunion angst. Okay. I can feel it. Sure. Um, Tom probably gets better. Okay. Elaine probably will find out about Gabriel. I feel like that's going to come out. Sure. It just, that has to get resolved somehow. We have to figure out. It does who, have to get resolved. Who Gabriel is, what is going on with him and Morgay's. Yep. And Matt might be like, they might have more time to actually explore. The, Why are you here? Because your mom's new future husband might be trying to kill you. And I came to save you. You're <laughs> welcome. Yeah. Perrin is absolutely going to be teased about Fael yep. by at least Matt, yep. if not Matt and Rand. Yeah. Who knows how much of Rand's time is going to be taken up by being the Dragon Reborn. But Matt is absolutely yep. going to tease the shit out of him. Matt's for just his some guy role. right now. Because there, we didn't talk about it in the scene, but Maureen just is like, Perrin is with his companion. Yeah. And Nguyen's just like, who? What? Yeah. Perrin has a Oh, that reminded me. We we missed something. Um, In that scene, they're talking about how the stone won't fall until the people of the dragon are in the stone. And they're like, does that mean we're the people of the dragon? Just us and and a bunch of Aiel? And Ruark is in the the corner and he just like rolls up his sleeve and he's got like a whole ass colored dragon tattoo running across his arm. And he's like, we call ourselves the people of the dragon. So, yeah. Because it's like a thing that clan chiefs get. At yeah. their, like, holy city. Yeah. So, yes, we are the people of the dragon. Yeah. It's the Aiel, confirmed. Us and a bunch of Aiel. And um, where is Min? That's we're not gonna, a prediction. We are going to find out where Min is. Okay. We're going to find out where <laughs> Min is. Do you think she's at the White Tower? I don't know. I just... Okay. My prediction is that we are going to have something to do with Min. Okay. Because they can't forget about her for an entire book. Mm, or an entire two books. They absolutely can. I don't think they're going to, though, because she's one of Rian's women. And now that Rand is the Dragon Reborn, and everyone is like, yes. And that's another thing kind of hinting at, like, this can't be the end, because Rand has a lot of visions that have yet to be fulfilled. Like, a lot of them. Yeah. Blood on the rocks, the women at a funeral pyre. Right, there are so many of men's visions that have yet to come to fruition, and... I think when we talked about them before, that was one of the things you said. It's like, no, all, each of those are actually, like, things that you figure out later. Yeah. So, like, it can't be the end. Because yeah. we got to figure out what the heck all of those weird things with Rand is. He has to pour water on sand, and Matt has an eye on a scale, which is creepy. We haven't gotten anything with Tom. Nope. He juggles fire and has something to do with the White Tower. Yep. Maybe he goes to the White Tower. I don't Maybe. know. 
He was at the White Tower. Maybe he's so sick that he has to go to the White Tower to get healed. Maybe, but that would be weird because he was at the White Tower. He met Matt. He wasn't actually at the Tower. He was just in Tarvalin. Okay. Nitpicky, but okay. It wasn't enough for me to cross it off the vision list. That's fair. So it's not nitpicky. He wasn't in the White Tower. That's fair. Do you have any ideas, uh, any predictions for what will happen with the Aiel? They're here. I don't think they're going back to where they came from. Okay. They're going to be sticking around. Land. Threefold land, sure. The waste or whatever they yeah. call it. Yeah, I think being, I think they're just going to end up, you know, following Rand around. Okay. Rand's going to find out that he's Aiel. We're going to probably get some sort of confirmation there. I don't know that's going to happen next book, but just, you know, future series predictions. Sure. Okay. Loyal's going to continue to complain about being part of this and then but refuse also love to leave. It. Yeah. Okay. Standard stuff. Standard stuff. Yeah. We are not going to fight Balsamon again. No, he's dead. He's dead. Big time. Big old dead. Bye-bye, Ishamael. So. so that was that. Yeah. Done with book three. And we will be back in one month with season four, The Shadow Rising. But big we will book. be big book. We will be uploading an episode in two weeks still though, because it is time for you to read another romance novel. Hooray. I'm excited. Okay. You will be reading Only When It's Us by Chloe Lease. She's one of my Those favorite. are words. <laughs> Those are words. She is one of my favorite authors. You've heard me talk about her a whole bunch. I have. Uh, and this isn't my favorite book in the series, but I do love all of them. These series, the series is like a big old hug. It's the Bergman Brothers series, and each book follows a sibling from this large Swedish American family. Is this and like a Bridgerton thing? It's kind of it's it's similar to Bridgerton. Okay. It, each book is a standalone that focuses on one of these siblings. Okay. It's contemporary Bridgerton. Okay. I have neither read nor watched Bridgerton, so. But it's the same concept for those of you out there who do not know. It's a big thing in romance novels. The series of standalones. Following a family. Following a family. Okay. And so the first one is a college slow burn with forced proximity, kind of frenemies to lovers. They're not like full enemies. They've got like this frenemy thing going on. Those are tropes. Those are tropes. Um, I have you read a lot of enemies to lovers. You do. But... The next one in this series is not Enemies to Lovers. Okay. It, the next one is on my list of one of my favorites for the series, because I will be having you read all of the books that are out currently. Okay. Uh, but it's got a soccer player heroine and a later in life deaf hero. So we've got sure. some disability rep in there, lots of mental health representation and all kinds of fun stuff. And Those are words about a book that I will read. <laughs> And so it's a romance you all book. have that to look forward to. Yep. Alrighty. This is the end of season three, The Dragon Reborn. I'll see you in a month with The Shadow Rising and in two weeks with Only When It's Us. Bye. Bye.